I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we started a series last week titled Better. We're talking about how we know Christ more in the year ahead. You know, with every new year come a renewed effort to be better, to do things better. And sometimes better doesn't necessarily only involve the things that we want to start to do more of. Sometimes better involves things that we, des- we desire uh, to do less of. The goal is that you and I are growing in our relationship with the Lord, that we are maturing in our faith. And so this past week, we looked at the response that Jesus gave to the question that was asked of him. What is the most important commandment of all? And in addressing Jesus's response, where he says that the greatest commandment is to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, then then we discover in this that the most important priority of life is that you and I profess Christ as Savior and Lord and that we follow Him daily and that we love God with our whole being. Everybody say, my whole being. That it involves the totality of my life. Every aspect of my life is invested in this, this process of expressing my affection to God and demonstrating that nothing and no one is more important to me than He is. In simpler terms, loving God with our whole being means that our desires are centered on the Lord, that our identity is defined by who He is, that our will is shaped by His written word, and that your actions and my actions are aimed at fulfilling His divine purpose for your life and in my my life. And unless you and I seek to love God with our whole being, I do not believe you and I can experience the depth of a living, thriving relationship with our Father. We cannot expect to have embrace experience all of God or all that God desires for us to experience in Him if we're only willing to give Him a portion of our lives or only give Him willing to give Him access to a part of our lives. If we want all of Him, then we must give Him all of us. If we want all that He has to offer, then we must give Him every part of our lives. And it's not negotiable, friends. God is not in the business of negotiating terms with us. It's either we accept Him or we reject Him. But ultimately, the choice is ours. Today, I want us to focus on the constant fight that the scriptures say we are engaged in to resist giving in to our sinful, selfish desires and appetites. In case you did not know it, let me remind you once again. Just because you are a follower of Jesus Christ does not mean that you are still not tempted. Does not mean that you don't have appetites and desires that are craving to be satisfied. You know, I, I, one of the things I started to do in recent weeks and months was, was embracing this practice of fasting. Fasting both as a spiritual exercise, but also as a, as a, as just as a way of just taking care of my body. And can I tell you, it is not easy. <laughs> it is not easy to go without food for hours and hours and hours, especially when you're constantly passing food. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, why am I here? Why am I around this place? You know, because because the the flesh craves what it craves. And so in the same way, our flesh, even though we are, we've given our hearts to the Lord, we are surrendered to Christ, our flesh still cries out to be fed. Our flesh still cries out to be satisfied, to to have its needs, its desires addressed. And the, the decision that you and I are called to every single day is to do what? To starve the flesh. Everybody say starve the flesh. To starve the flesh. And how we do that is by feeding our spirit. 
We are called to starve the flesh. We are called to, to not give in to the desires of our flesh. No matter how much it cries to be satisfied, we do not give in to the desires of our flesh. And can I tell you this? Our ability to stand up to the flesh's desires is not something that involves willpower. Because here's the thing, if it only required willpower, Jesus would not have needed to come to address sin. We would have all easily said, you know what, I'm done with sin, and walk away, and that'd be the end of it. But the, the problem is, willpower is not enough. We need God's power to be at work in our lives to help us to do what we cannot do on our own. I heard a preacher say many years ago, you cannot expect the, the flesh to police itself. You hear that phrase, when the cat is away, the mice come out to play? It is this idea that when restraint, when boundaries, when restrictions that are meant to protect, are meant to keep us in line are removed, what happens? Chaos. Why? Because now whatever will be, will be. The flesh is constantly looking for an excuse. It is constantly looking for a way to be able to have its desires met. And sometimes, here's, here's, the, here's the catch, the enemy can convince you and I that certain things are okay. Why? Because at least they're not as bad as what somebody else is doing. And so we begin to justify sin in our minds. We begin to justify sin in our hearts. And it is a dangerous place, brothers and sisters. This flesh is constantly crying out to be satisfied. We must determine in our hearts we will not give in. When I became a Christian, one of the most liberating truths that I came to understand is this. That by saying yes to Jesus, I finally gained the power to say no to sin. Because I said yes to following Christ... The power that I lacked to say no to sin, that power I finally gained. In fact, one of the, I came across a story that I thought was pretty interesting about this idea of being very bold and very decisive when it comes to sin. Maybe you heard about this story. It happened several years ago. It was about a 12-year-old girl from New York City. And now before I go forward, let me just say, if you ever find yourself in this situation, please do not do what this girl did. Um, it, it is almost wise not to, Right? Um, but, but again, there was something in this young lady that caused her to do what she did, and I commend her for it. I'm not putting her down at all. I commend her for it. But this is what happened. This 12-year-old girl from New York City was hailed a hero. Why? Because of her bravery. Involved in a, when she was caught up in, a, in an argument with a classmate over chicken nuggets. 12-year-old girl. Argument with her classmate over chicken nuggets. What happened? This young man comes to this girl and he asks for one of her chicken nuggets. This girl says no. And after school, this boy follows her and he accosts her in a nearby subway station and he pulls out a gun and he holds the gun to her head. All because she would not give him a chicken nugget. But here's what was interesting about this story. This girl was unimpressed and she was certainly unfazed by what this young man did. She slapped the boy's hand away she told him to leave her alone, and she went about the rest of her day. Later that day, the police, God wouldn't know what happened. They found this young man, ended up arresting him, and then charging him with juvenile attempted robbery. But as for this chicken nugget loving girl, <laughs> she would go on to become an internet sensation. Now again, I said to you, if you ever find yourself in that situation, God forbid you ever find yourself in that scenario. But there was something in this young lady that caused her to, in, the, in, the, in what was really a life or death situation, to do what she did. I'm sure that if she was in a similar scenario another time, she probably would have done things different. But in that moment, there was something in her that said, I am not gonna put up with this nonsense. I'm not gonna put up with this foolishness. I'm not gonna give allowance for this young man to have his way in my life. 
And in the same way, we need to look at it that from a spiritual perspective, if God wants you and I to have this boldness and conviction within our own hearts that when the enemy comes with a spiritual gun, as it were, pointed to our head saying you need to give in to, to what I'm asking you to do, that we're able to say, no, I will not accept this foolishness. Why? Because I am a follower of Christ. I am crucified with Christ, the Bible says, therefore I no longer live, Christ now lives in me. Sin does not have a place in my life anymore. There must be a boldness, a, a conviction that, that is born of the Holy Spirit's presence, His power, His influence in your life and my life that moves us to say, I will not give sin room in my life. Why? Because I am seeking to become like Jesus. And knowing that Christ, there was nothing about Him that connects Him to sin or that suggests that He in any way was a sinner much as we are. And because He is the prize, He is my goal, He is my example, He is my focus, then sin has no place in my life. In the scripture we're going to read this morning, we're going to see the Apostle Paul address his protege Timothy, in which he addresses this issue of giving in to sin, how we resist giving in to sin, and that by developing an appetite for the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to verse 17 is our text this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn there with me. If you don't, the words are on the screen behind me. But before I read, just want to preface what Paul says in the beginning of chapter 3. He defines, he explains to Timothy, Timothy, there are difficult times coming for believers. Now, there's been arguments. Is Paul referring to the current time? Is Paul referring to the future? What I like to believe, and this is what a lot of theologians seem to, uh, seem to agree on, is this idea that even though the scriptures in the, Old, in the New Testament specifically uses the word end times, last days, quite often, that it doesn't simply refer to that era or simply refer to our period, our time period, as much as it refers to that space of time between Christ's ascension back into heaven and his coming return. So there is this sense that the word end times, last this is meant to provoke in your heart and my heart this idea that we must be ready at any point in our walk with the Lord. Why? Because he can come back. In just the same way that you and I can say, well, you know, those who lived in Paul's time and the apostles' time, they were expecting Christ to return, but he didn't show up. So why should I expect Christ to show up in my lifetime? Friends, listen, that is a wrong, wrong approach. Because even if Christ doesn't come back for the church in your lifetime, it doesn't mean that there's not coming a day where you will pass from this life. Last week, we celebrated the life of a 34-year-old. Tomorrow is not promised you and I. So while it may be easy for us to say to ourselves, well, I can live however I please, do whatever I want. I don't necessarily have to live under that burden or, or that, that pressure of knowing that Christ will return at any time. Friends, take it serious. He can come at any time. He can come before the service is over. He can come on, the, on your way home to ch from church to this today. He can come while you're sleeping tonight. He can come while you're in the office. He can come at any time. The issue is not when he comes. The issue is, are you ready when he comes? And part of the readiness that's involved with being prepared for his return is the, is the ability that God gives you and I in the invitation he makes to us to develop an appetite for his word. So let's read together what Paul says to Timothy. The believer must do to not only resist the pressures of the culture, the ungodliness that prevails in the culture, but also to, be, to, be, to, to fortify our faith and to grow in our walk with Christ. Verse 14, Paul says, You, however... With everything going on around him, Paul says, you, Timothy, continue. Everybody say continue. Paul says, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, 
which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the woman or man of God may be fully capable and equipped for every good work. So we're talking this morning very quickly how we resist developing, how we resist, excuse me, giving into sinful, selfish desires by developing an appetite for God's word. And there are three things that the Bible shows us that we are to do in order to be able to resist our selfish desires. First of all, the Bible shows us that we must trust that the word of God contains all we need to fulfill our God-given potential as believers. Paul reminds Timothy that the scriptures are given to us by God to provide for us everything we need for righteousness and godliness. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, you are to continue in the things that you have learned. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, there is truth you've been exposed to, teachings you've been brought, that's been brought to your awareness, your attention about who God is and about what God has called you to do and how he's called you to live. Paul says you must not neglect those instructions you've been given. You must not neglect the teaching you've been given. If anything, you must trust that in the, in the scriptures is found everything you need to fulfill the potential that God has for you and for me. The psalmist in Psalm 19 verse 7 and 8 says this of the word of God. He says the law of the Lord is perfect. He says the law of the Lord is perfect and he explains why it is perfect. He says it is perfect because it restores the soul. He says the law of God is perfect. Perfect is perfect. There's nothing, you can't get past perfect. It, perfect suggests that it's flawless. Perfect suggests that it has no equal. Perfect suggests that there's nothing you can compare it to that can, that, can be, that can be comparable. No, it, is, it stands on its own. The psalmist says God's law is perfect. And this is why it restores the soul. He says the testimony of God is sure. It makes, the wise, it makes wise the simple. The precepts of God are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is this, friends. There is no greater resource that you and I can turn to. To embrace and to experience the life God desires for us to live. To live up to the potential that he has for you and I as sons and daughters of God. There is no resource greater than the word of God. And as followers of Christ, the word of God must be our number one resource. Hear me this morning, brother and sister. The pastor is not your number one resource. The teacher is not your number one resource. Whatever social media posts or memes you read or you watch is not your number one resource. Your number one resource is the word of God. And when you make the Word of God your number one resource, then you can determine whether everything else is worth listening to or watching. Because if it does not align with the Word of God, it is useless. It is of no profit to you, no good to you. The Word of God must be our number one resource. And we must respond to God's Word with this sense of trust. That when I open this book, I know God's going to speak to me. That when I open this book, I know I'm going to have a revelation of who God is. And I'm going to have a greater understanding of what God desires to do in my life. That I'm not just reading a book of good Bible stories. Or, 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 or a book of great advice. That I'm reading the very words of Almighty God. And I trust the words that are spoken. I, I pray that you and I can be able to say as the psalmist, God, your word is perfect. And that I will turn to nothing and no one else before I turn to your word. Your potential to live up to the calling that God has placed in your life will not be fully met, friends, if you exclude the word from your life. You have to read the word. 
You have to study the Word. You have to make time for the Word. I know sometimes it feels like it's a chore. But friends, in the same way that you and I cannot go days, some of us can't go hours without eating. Friends, we must recognize the Word is just as important, if not more important. Because this is what helps us to discern the will of God, the way of God, the plan of God for our lives, and the, and, 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 and the direction that God wants our lives to go. Our potential as believers is only fulfilled to the extent that we embrace the teachings of God's word and we apply it to our lives. Not only that, not only do we need to trust that God's word contains everything we need to fulfill his purpose, potential for us, we need to keep our, our primary focus on becoming more like Christ in our beliefs and in our behavior. One of the things that the Apostle Paul notes is this, that in verse 15 reminds Timothy that from childhood he has known the sacred writings which are able to give him the wisdom, Paul says, that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ. In essence, what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying to Timothy, and he's saying to you and I by extension, that, that, that the scriptures exist to point us to Christ. The scriptures exist to point us back to God. It's not about information, but it's about bringing us to an awareness of, of a provision that God has made through Christ so that we recognize the need, the value of now pursuing Christ. Why? Because we recognize that in embracing Christ, we embrace, we experience all that God desires for us to find in Christ. So, in other words, my focus as a follower of Christ, my focus as a, as a disciple of Christ, as a, as a believer, is Jesus. It is, not, it is not some individual out there who... who who, who's, who, who has a, a, the same calling that God has placed on my life to, 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 to follow after Christ as the author and perfect of our faith. All of us are called to become like Christ. The Bible says that you and I are being conformed to the image of Christ. So we, we are meant to reflect Christ in our attitude, in our actions, in our lifestyle. He is the example that we are looking to emulate. I love how Paul put it because even he understood in his time how easy it is for people to gravitate toward a personality. And Paul, especially if you look in, in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, part of his argument or part of his, the crux of his letter to the church in Corinth was to address this issue of, of them, you know, you know, chasing personalities. Some saying, I want to I wanna follow Paul. Some saying, I want to follow Paulus. I want to follow Peter. And Paul said, did I win you to me? Did I convert you to me? Did I preach a gospel of Paul? No, I preached Christ to you. So if you're following me, only follow me because I am following him. Paul is saying, he is my focus. So follow my example and follow him with me. Don't follow me if I'm not following him. The responsibility that every one of us has as believers is to make Christ our singular focus. I want to be like Jesus. And I want to emulate it in my actions, in my attitude, in my behavior. Philippians 3.12, Paul says, I press on if I may take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul is saying... The reason Jesus came into my life, the reason that Jesus has stepped into my world and is radically changing me is what I have made my priority. It's not that I gain Christ and then I use him as an accessory as I pursue other things. No, Paul is saying the reason that Christ saved me, the reason that Christ gave his life to redeem me, that's my, that's my focus, that's my priority. And if we are to live up to that potential that God calls us to, friends, we have to make the word a priority in our lives. Christ has to be the focus. Again, when we open the pages of the Bible, again, it's not about us simply learning you know, spiritual truths, but we want to get a better view of Christ.
We want to have a, a we want to walk away with a, a greater appreciation for Jesus, for what He's done in our lives, and for what He's promised to do in our lives. Make Him the focus. And so in making him in making him the focus, you become or seek to become more and more like him. Here's the third point. Paul says we must commit to receiving, believing, and obeying God's word as our final authority. In verse 16 and verse 17, Paul explains why the scriptures are inspired by God and why they are beneficial. And he lists the instruction. Uh, he says the, the scripture is beneficial for teaching. It's necessary for rebuke, for correction, for training, so that you and I can be equipped. Everybody say equipped. Equipped, or some translations use the phrase fully capable, made fully capable to do every good work that God has established for us to do. God's desire is that you and I come to a place in our lives where we are willing to see God's word as the ultimate authority for how I live. Again, that we don't just see the book as a Bible as a book of filled with great suggestions. No, that we see the word of God as our final authority. I'm reminded of what happened when Jesus was tempted in, in the wilderness. Bible says he had fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And at the end of that period, he was hungry. As rightfully so, he was hungry. And Satan saw an opportunity to try to uh, trip up the, the Son of God. And Satan begins to make suggestion after suggestion after suggestion to Jesus. On three occasions, he does this. And you notice every response that Christ gives was the word. He responded with the word. And if, if, if Jesus would respond to Satan's temptations or invitation to sin with the word, what else are we looking for? What, what else are we requiring? What else are we seeking for? Jesus did that to demonstrate to you and I that the word of God is the final authority when it comes to what we do, how we live. And we must commit ourselves to not only receiving that word, but we believe the word and we obey the word. In verse 3 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, The tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live. Everybody say, Man shall not live. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone. What was he referring to? He's not saying that we're supposed to go all of our lives without eating or sustenance. No, that's, not what he's, that's not what he's saying. He says that who we are, at the very core of who we are, who we are becoming, what we are known for must be a commitment to live by the instructions that God has given. That when the world looks at us, they don't see perfection because we're not capable of being perfect. But what they see is that Christ lives in us. That his words mean something to us. That they're more than just good saints, but that they are the foundation on which we are building our lives. That we are, we are patterning ourselves after Christ. We are emulating his example. We do not live by bread alone. We are not defined by what this flesh craves or desires or, or seeks to, 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 to satisfy itself with. We are nurtured. We are molded. We are shaped by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And knowing that God has given us his word to help us to live out his purpose for our lives... Our response is to say, God, not only do I receive your word, I believe your word. And God, not only will I receive and believe your word, but in fact, I demonstrate that I believe your word by obeying your word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I ask you to do. You can say you love Jesus till you're blue in the face. If you're not obeying, you don't love him. Jesus has said there's going to come a time where there are, going to be people, there, are going to, there are going to be people who will say, Lord, Lord, but I did this and that, I did that in your name. And he's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Which points to the idea that, brother and sister, God is not interested 
in what we do for him as much as what we are first willing to allow him to do in us. Because if we allow him to work in us, then what we do for him will make sense. Because it will be alignment with his will and the direction of his spirit. If we're only concerned with outward appearance and we feel, well, as long as I just go to church, as long as I, I'm doing the religious things on the outside, but he doesn't have our hearts, we're not living in obedience, brother and sister, you do not want to hear him say the words to you, I do not know you. Because it's not about church attendance, even though that's important. It's not about being religious. He is saying, are you committed to receiving my word, to believing my word, and to obeying my word? And can I tell you, that... It's not something that God can make us do. I have to choose to do that. And in this coming year, as I seek to go into a deeper relationship with the Lord, to have a better walk with the Lord, friends, I must make a commitment. God, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. And where what you ask me to do is difficult, God, I'm going to trust that you would give me grace and strength to do it. Because I trust you. I'll be honest with you, God, brothers and sisters, obeying God is not always easy. <laughs> when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, it's real. We all know what it's like when we are faced with decisions and choices that ordinarily we would rather do because we just feel like it's, God is asking too much. And yet God is saying, trust me, do what I'm asking you to do and I will, I, will, I will make it work out in your life. I will prove to you that my word is alive, that my word is living, that my word is powerful. It will not return void. God will not make a promise and then leave us hanging. God will do what he says he will do. What he's asking us to do is to trust him. And how? By committing ourselves to say, God, I want, I, I want, to, make, I want to make your word, the study of your word, the meditation of your, meditation of your word, a daily part of my life. Not because I just want to check it off my list of to-dos that I did it for today. But no, I want to spend time with you, God, because it is through your word that I get to know you better. It is through your word that I get to know you more. That's something that you have to make up your mind for yourself. I can't do that for you. I can't choose that for you. But I can encourage you to do so. Why? Because I know if you do so, God will change your life in a radical way. But you have to invite him to do that in your life. I want to invite every head bowed, every eyes closed. And I want to invite the worship team to please come back on the stage and join us. There's a quote I came across that I wanted to share with you. I think it speaks to this issue of making the word of God the tool that you and I return to over and over and over again so that we are able to resist the temptation to give in to our sinful, selfish desires. A well-known preacher by the name of E. Stanley Jones from the 19th century said, and I quote, The Bible redirects my will, it cleanses my emotions, it enlightens my mind, and it quickens my total being. Let me read it again. The Bible redirects my will, it cleanses my emotions, it enlightens my mind, and it, it quickens my total being. God's desire is that in this year that you and I have a total, whole-hearted, full, uh, just a, 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 an experience of Him that envelops every aspect of our lives. God doesn't want to. God, God is not interested in business as usual, brother and sister. God is interested in bringing radical change and taking us deeper and farther than we've ever gone in our relationship with Him. God wants to make us better. 
but becoming better is not something that will happen because he makes us better outside of our ex- the exercise of our, own, our will we have to say God I want to be better I want a better walk with you I want a deeper relationship with you and God I recognize today that your word is foundational to my ability to go deeper and so God I commit that I will not just be a hearer of your word but God I will be a doer of your word